You're listening to a People of Note podcast, as heard on Classic 1027. Good evening and a warm welcome to People of Note on Classic 1027 with me, Richard Cock. This program is broadcast every Sunday from 6 to 8 p.m. And in it, I talk to someone who is a person of note and we listen to music of their choice. And my guest in the program tonight is Jake Willis, who's the CEO and co-founder of Lulaway, which is an organization that promotes youth employment. Good evening and welcome. Good evening. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. It's a great pleasure. Youth employment uh, seems to be a really important subject in South Africa, not only today, but in this decade, I should think. I think youth employment uh, probably is and should be important in any, you know, any context in anywhere. Um, but yeah, certainly, I think, um, I think, uh, and certainly in this post-corona uh, world, you know, the um, youth employment is, is is just a hot topic, and it's, it's something that we should all be focusing on. We should all be looking at, and is of the utmost importance. I mean, I always say that at the end of the day, the key difference between a you know, a functioning country and a non-functioning country is, you know, are people working or aren't people working? Now, obviously, everybody starts, you know, youth are the, the guys that start working. So if you if your youth are not starting to work, and I mean, we know statistically that um, that, that the real, you know, the, the, the biggest issue around employment or is when people never start working. So in other words, it's not as common to have somebody starting to work and then losing their job and never working again. But the long-term unemployment very often is people that never actually started working. So when we look at youth um, employment issues, it's really about saying, how do we get, you know, how do we get people in the country to start working? And once they start working, very often they stay working. But if they've never started working, then in essence, they remain in, in what is in essence the Stone Age in terms of um, in terms of, of, of an economy, because if you're not working, that means you're not producing. If you're not producing, what are you doing? You're subsisting. So it really becomes a subsistence economy. And where do we feature in the sort of world scale of youth unemployment or youth employment? So I think one of the one of the important perspectives that I think are important to to look at the way I'd see it is that you know you're looking at the developed worlds so you're looking at your United States your Europe and and, and those places um, and they talk about unemployment and they talk about unemployment stats and you know obviously their unemployment stats go from you know the three percent to the five percent to the ten percent at the kind of you know crisis level you know. We've been sitting for the last, you know, 20 years, 30 years at the sort of anywhere between 25 percent to 42 percent, you know, youth unemployment. Um, And between me and you, uh, the correct stat, because remember that unemployment is counted as people that are looking for employment. Um, So if you're looking at the correct stat, which is people that are not working, probably sitting at a closer to 65 percent unemployment is in people that are not working. So. The truth of the matter is that I don't think we could look at South Africa in the context of saying, you know, what is our youth unemployment rate as much as we should be looking at saying, what is our youth employment rate? So, you know, if you're looking at the post-apartheid sort of um, world, uh, that's when the, the, the country opening up, you know, the sort of economy opened up to start saying, okay, we want to have an inclusive economy where everybody is working. But you can't start 
with this the idea of saying, okay, when we started, we had um, full employment, and then you look at the sort of, okay, what is the unemployment rate? You really need to look at it saying, okay, at the outset, what employment levels did we have? And that would probably be more in the range of your sort of 20, 30% employment, um, and you need to grow from there. So to me, the correct way to look at, um, at, at employment in South Africa needs to be looking at saying, okay, how many people do we have working? And you know, growing from a, say, 30% employment to a 35% to a 40%. It's like when we look at it from a youth unemployment perspective, it's almost sort of looking at your half-empty cup, but not realizing that, you know, you didn't start with a full cup and then sort of take it down from there. You really need to look at it and saying, okay, we started from somewhere and we're growing it. If we're not growing as fast as we can be, if we've gotten to somewhere and we've dropped down, those are obviously concerning things to look at. So in other words, if we look at, um, uh, you know, uh, a year ago and say, or we look at five years ago and we say, okay, we had 10% more people employed than we are now, that's obviously a very concerning thing. If we're looking at the sort of corona world and saying, okay, we've dropped our employment by 10, 20%, that's obviously very, very concerning. Um, but Again, if you look taking it to the scale, you know, we almost need to look at it and saying we are in Africa and compared to Africa, I think our employment rate is, is, is unbelievable. You know, we have a great economy and a lot more people working here than in many, many other places. Um, is that where we want to be? No, we want to get to an American state or we want to get to a European state where we've got um, full employment. But that's going to take time. And I think people need to understand that. Now, your choices of music uh, are interesting. And I just I, just before we play your let's play your first piece, and then we'll find out about your your musical background. Your first choice is Billy Joel with the Piano Man. That was the Piano Man by Billy Joel. The choice of Jake Willis, the CEO and co-founder of Lulaway, who's my guest in People of Note. Uh, tell me a bit about your own musical background. Did you play an instrument, or were you involved in music in any way? No, I don't never, think. I never. Don't think I've. Um, I think I. You know, I've always wanted to, but um, you know, going from wanting to to, or sort of, I always wanted to want to. You know, because it would be really cool if I could just sort of out there and you know take on my guitar and and you know. I remember, I was. Um, I spent a few years in New York back in my sort of misguided youth, and um, you know, we, I was I was I was I was good friends with this this uh, this young black guy from California. And um, actually, wasn't young. I think I was at the time twenty, and he was forty. But anyway, so we, we were sort of hanging out, and he was—he um, was supposedly a um, a playwright, which means he had one. You know, he had one sort of play that he wrote or one movie that he wrote, um, and he had a guitar, and he knew how to play, like, four, four songs. Um, but, geez, the ladies would just fall over themselves for him, you know? He was just going over the place. And, and you know, so, so um, I always wanted to learn how to play guitar, but uh, I never had the patience. Huh? Actually, funny, my daughter, um, she, she picked up playing guitar somehow. She found, you know, find a guitar lying around somewhere, and she picked it up, and with virtually no teachers, no, you know, she, she taught herself over YouTube. It's actually unbelievable what you could find um, over YouTube nowadays. I mean, teachers, world-class teachers. And she completely taught herself. The other day she says, Dad, do you want to hear a, story, a, a, a song that I composed? And she composed a song from beginning to end. Not to say that she isn't a genius, which she is, you know, but <laughs> the, I think there's also a context that says that, that – um, there's more, there's more, it's, it's more accessible. I mean, for me, when I was growing up, the only way to learn how to play guitar would be to sort of uh, find a teacher and you go to a teacher and you could go once a week or twice a week or three times, you know, she could sit down on YouTube and, and, and do it all day if she wants. So it's interesting. 
And I guess during COVID, a lot of people have done just that. She she tells me that she's uh, that that she's learned more in the last um, sort of six months to eight months than um, than than she's than she's learned ever in her life. I mean, I'm kind of at the stage where, you know, sort of an old dog and <laughs> I don't know if I could learn any new tricks. <laughs> I don't know if I've learned anything new. But, um, but yeah, certainly for kids, I think yeah. it's actually unbelievable. It's just, you know, it's, it's like they, 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 they could open, it opens up, you know, stuff for them where they could learn new things um, and just interesting. Well, now, and that's a, an important point also as far as you're concerned with uh, youth employment. Can people teach themselves skills uh, because one of your important things is trying to find internships for people Mm. Uh, but people can teach themselves things too if you you have access to uh, the internet I guess that's another problem but I think it's important to realize that, that, you know, a lot of people have access to Internet nowadays. Um, so, I mean, obviously, we've got the whole rural, um, you know, sort of area uh, issue where, yes, there I think a lot of people have, you know, virtually zero access and or very little access. And that that's a substantial issue. But, I mean, if we're talking about urban areas, I mean, what, there's lots of Wi-Fi, you and know, sort of free. Has everybody has everybody has a smartphone nowadays. Um, I mean, we found from when we started working. I mean, our you know, ten years ago when we started um, when we started our business, um, the the sort of core concept of it was creating these job centers in the communities. Exactly because you know there was so little access to internet, and um, you know, so few people were able to to sort of apply for jobs online and things like that. Now, um, today. Um, Although people still don't have necessarily the ability to go, you know, the knowledge to go, and they don't have access to desktops, I think that's still um, virtually a, 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 a um, you know, a privileged access to desktops. But in terms of um, smartphone access, you know, a lot of people have, certainly in urban areas, I'd say a lot of people have sometimes two, three phones, you know, and they have um, smartphones. Um, and that really has changed the way we do things where um, – a, a key part of our communication now goes out via WhatsApp. Um, a key part of our communication goes out via sort of links that people need to sort of fill up um, and do assessments um, on their phones and things like that. So it's really changed the um, the landscape in many, many ways. Your next choice of music is Frank Sinatra, I've Got You Under My Skin. That was Frank Sinatra with I've Got You Under My Skin, the choice of Jake Willis, who's my guest in People of Note. He's the CEO and co-founder of Lulaway, which is an organization which promotes and tries to provide youth employment. You're obviously not from South Africa. What brought you here? So my parents, um, my parents moved here when I was um, probably 19. So I grew up in, um, in Israel, and uh, my parents moved there when I was 19. My dad opened some a Jewish organization. And, um, and yeah, basically, I was uh, so, so I, I didn't come immediately with them. Um, I was in New York at the time, and then sort of I came in, I went to university here. So I really only spent two years going to university here, and it was interesting, you know, good experience. Um, and then I went back to New York. And, you know, that, that kind of, in many ways, is, was, was a really defining, you know, sort of experience for me. If you're talking about my sort of music choices, you know, it's sort of, that's where I got um, introduced to the kind of jazz clubs there and, you know, the whole, the whole, um, the whole environment there. And, and that, that really kind of had a strong influence on, certainly on my musical tastes. Um, but, and I was there for a few years. And interestingly, that was sort of, uh, it was an interesting point where, where, 
my original visit to New York, where I spent about six months there, was in 1999. And that was at the height of the um, bubble. And I remember being there, and everywhere you go, there was signs, help wanted, you know, uh, uh, looking for this person, looking for this or whatever. I went here, I spent two, three years in university here, finishing that. And my mind always was, you know, sort of, you know, when I finish here, I'll probably go to New York because there's plenty of jobs there and should be as easy as pie to, to, to get anything. Um, and in a 20-year-old mind, there's no difference between a recession and a, uh, you know, in a bubble. <laughs> it's all the same. <laughs> so, um, so I got onto a plane, uh, you know, three years down the line, and this was 2002, I think. Um, and I land on the plane, and I had I, I had no money, so I, I think I somehow managed to scrape together money for the plane ticket, and I had a hundred dollars in my pocket. That's all I had. And I get off the um, I get off the plane, and um, I get to I get to, so I managed to get a place for this friend of my parents, you know, where I could stay there for a few days. It cost me about sixty of my hundred dollars for a taxi to get um, from <laughs> the airport to the thing, and I was like, "No, no, no stress. I'm going to go out to the road and I'm going to find jobs." That, you know, but little to my knowledge, this was in the middle of the recession. Um, and I walk out, and all those help wanted signs were gone, like they've never existed. <laughs> so I'm walking down the street, and um, and and I can't find a job for love or money. Uh, so yeah, it was interesting, sort of interesting, sort of periods. You know, yeah. I mean, eventually, I sort of, you know, found some things. End up um, finding moving furniture. Um, it's just another interesting story where you're, the whole industry there is dominated by these ex-Israelis. You know, so you know, I sort of had an in there through that, and um, it was hard work. I remember at the time it was when I when I when I started. You know, my first, my you know, I was there. I didn't couldn't find anything, and then I, you know, got this guy said, okay, you know, he'll give me a chance to start working, and they started working at four o'clock in the morning. And at the time, and I had no money. It was like on my last sort of 50 cents. And um, that morning I was supposed to go and I overslept, you know. So I sort of wake up in the morning and I realized I overslept and I had 50 cents. And this was back in the days of pay phones and, you know. So I put my 50 cents in my two quarters. I put my two quarters in the, um, in the, the pay phone and the guy answers the phone and he says, um, what happened? And I knew I've got like, 30 seconds to talk. So all I could say was, it's just not going to happen again. And he says, okay, come tomorrow morning at four o'clock. <laughs> so the following night, I don't think I slept. <laughs> I didn't have money for a, um, for a, uh, for a, a, a subway to sort of go through, go across town. So I had to sort of wake up early and walk. Um, and I get there and I worked the whole day and it was like particularly tough. We had to carry these boxes up six flights no of pianos, stores. I hope. No, no pianos, thank God. But um, but but big big screen TVs, which yeah. back in those days were very very heavy. Um, so you know, and carrying the and so I worked and sweaty, and you finish whatever it is. But then at the end of the day, the guy that we were moving for gave each of us a hundred dollar tip. You know, so I walk away with a hundred dollars. Um, that's how I learned that you know money is useful on occasion. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's interesting. Well, and it was a useful job experience for you. A useful work experience. No, hundred percent. I mean, I worked there in moving furniture. I, moved, I worked there as a stockbroker, which is its own thing. I mean, if you ever watch the movie Wall Street, it's like, you know, it's based on true events. You know, we sit there and you phone. They they just phone people from morning to night to um, to uh, sell them sort of the same stock over and over again. Um, but I mean, that was yeah, that was a job I could find and pay very much. But you know, sort of got, got through it. But you, you learned you learned a lot of things. 
Um, and the interesting point was, so when I finished there, and so I came back to visit South Africa for visit my parents, and and also New York is a very lonely place. I mean, just just you know, <laughs> it's like it's a it's, it's, it's amazing how you could be a lot more lonely in a place that is full of people than in a place that is. Um, that is, that is, there's less people because every there, everyone there is walking. They know where they're going, how they're doing. And you're sitting there in the corner. And you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life, you know. So, um, and I came in a visit and a visit here, and it's just I just realized that you know there's so much more opportunity in South Africa than in in, in New York because as much as you would think a big city and whatever it is, but in a place like that, you know. Most things have been done over and over again. Um, and then I sat in South Africa, and you kind of see yourself sitting on the seam lines of a kind of developed and a developing world, you know, which is sort of, you know, in an uneasy sort of alliance and just recently merged back then. Um, and so many, so many opportunities. And to this day, I, I find that um, South Africa just has so many opportunities. There's so much stuff that can be done and, and so much stuff that needs to be done. So it was just was really exciting. And a lot of energy. And a lot of energy. Yeah. And that they can't take away from us. And that's your next song. Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Armstrong. They can't take that away from me. They can't take that away from me. Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Armstrong. The choice of Jake Willis, my guest in People of Note. So having uh, come back here, you realized there was an opening for something. Hmm. Uh, and how did you get into this, the, the youth unemployment and doing what you're doing now because <laughs> I mean it's a sort of endless job I should think but but tell us what it is exactly that you do so um, yeah interesting how I got to it so I was working I was working at the time I managed to get a job to manage a uh, little Nando's um, restaurant and um, there was this little hair salon next door and I needed the internet and again those days no smartphones you know so it's you know, if you didn't send an email you got to find an internet cafe so there's an internet cafe, and I go in there, and it's closed. And I, it's the back of the hair salon, you know? I go in there again, and it's closed again. So by the third time, I was like, okay, something's wrong here, you know? So I go in, I find this Nigerian lady that was running it. Actually, you know, she was a South African lady that was running it. And, um, and I chat to her, and she says, yeah, you know, she doesn't really feel like running it. It's just a pain and whatever, but it's there. So um, I was like, okay, well, you know? I was looking for something at the time. I was kind of getting, getting a bit bored, so I was sort of I managed to scrape together a little bit of money. I think it was five thousand rand at the time, um, which wasn't easy to get by. I could tell you, I had to sort of borrow from friends, and <laughs> wasn't easy. So <laughs> anyway, so I got that together, and I had I started with these three computers and um, and a printer and a phone, you know, one of those pay phones back back in those days, and that was that was an internet cafe that that started that. Remember the first day in business, we made seven rand. You know, I was very excited. Um, and then the second day, we made eight rand. I was like, okay, well, at this rate, I don't know how where where's growth, you know, happening. But then the third day, we made thirteen rand. So I was sitting there in my didn't have an Excel sheet, but I had paper. I was saying, okay, at this rate of growth, we're getting somewhere. I mean, if we go to, you know, from from eight rand to thirteen rand in one day, I mean, that that's that's exponential growth. <laughs> Unfortunately, the next day we went back down to like five. So, <laughs> you know, but 
long story short, we kind of kept on growing and um, and then eventually turned into a little internet cafe. Eventually, I was kicked out of the back of the hair salon, so found another premises and got another little internet cafe. Um, and that kept on growing. It was just interesting how we sort of put a few computers and the next day had people queuing up and used the proceeds from that to buy a few more computers. And the next day had more people queuing up. And it was just, just really, it was like my first experience of kind of real business where sort of, you know, you do something and it's just sort of working. And people come in and they say to you, wow, thank you. You know, there was no no good place for me to go on the internet until now and I feel so comfortable here and you know it's just so, so that grew um, and yeah eventually after a few years you know sort of had a few internet cafes but um, I remember very clearly after the World Cup the um, internet cafe business started tanking and it was very clear like I'd, I'd get customers that used to come in every day and then they'd stop coming in and I'd see them on the road and I'd say uh, what happened? And the guy would say, oh, you know, I used to come in for Facebook and an email, but now I got the, um, I got the, uh, the bandwidth was cheaper and he got his own laptop and he got our own smartphone started coming in that then at that time. Um, and I could see the internet is, was just dying out. Um, but I still saw these young kids coming in with their brown envelopes, you know, sort of their CVs and all that stuff. And I could see that, you know, so 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 I started saying, okay, what what can we do about it? So I started putting together the service of, you know, we'd take the guys and we'd create a CV for them and register them on Pnet and a Career Junction and a few of the other sort of things, and that was as a service. But after we put about a hundred guys through this process, and I said, okay, well, the only way this thing is going to grow is if we start seeing some guys coming back to me and saying, thank you, you've helped me, you got me a job or whatever it is, and I wasn't seeing that. So, um, you know, that's kind of where we started look. I started looking at, at how do we turn this into, you know, how do we how do we get hands on with this thing? I mean, somehow or the other, the people working, um, how do we take these these kids with their CVs and get them into working? At the time, I was just thinking of very, very basically as saying, OK, my Internet Cafe guys are not coming to me for Facebook or email anymore. Um, so the only thing I could do is get guys to come in so they could put CVs together. But if they're putting CVs together and they don't get a job, they're going to stop coming and probably not going to have money to keep on paying. So how do I sort of bridge that gap? That was the beginning of a journey, you know. Yeah. And it's obviously been successful for them and for you. So yeah, I think I think we've 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 done some work. We've done some work. Um, uh, I think at the time, so when we started out, it was really about creating these job centers. Um, and basically, the idea was originally what we did is so. So what base what actually happened was um, I, I met this guy that was uh, that was running HR for Discam at the time, and I started talking to him about. You know, I said, "Where do you recruit? What do you do?" He says, "To me, come on Monday morning to our um, offices, and I'll show you what happens." So I come there, and there's I don't know maybe 500 um, sort of young ladies mostly um, parked out there and you know they needed 30 people or something so they would um, take them in put them through some basic assessments and you know choose the 30 people out of the 500 so I said to him well today's day and age surely there's a better way of doing this I said why don't we get the guys to come into our internet cafes call them job centers um, we'll put together some kind of an online system and, um, and and put them some assessments. Tell me what assessments you do. I'll let them do the assessments there online. And then you choose from the successful people on that, and you'll take them, and you'll cut out that whole process, make it more efficient for you, um, cheaper and more efficient for the um, for the young people, and, you know, you do something there. So that was kind of the beginning, you know, when we sort of started there. I think we got McDonald's as our second client. Um, and Nando's, since you first worked there? No, Nando, we, no. Nando's, we never landed. <laughs> 
Nando's, we never let it. It's a whole backstory to that, which I don't know if I want to get into, but um, Nando's we never got into. But um, we, we got a few, a few early clients. But the interesting thing was that um, we, we, we could never get that sort of process of getting clients to pay for recruitment um, going. So as a whole, there's a number of reasons about it. But I mean, maybe taking the McDonald's um, as an illustration. So they were actually paying us a certain amount on a monthly basis for um, for the recruitment. And what they needed to do is they needed to get their restaurant managers to sort of go online, choose the people, and take them from there. And they just wouldn't do it. Um, I went to the extent where I said to them, okay, you know what, maybe these store managers are not quite at the level. They don't know the internet or whatever it is. You know, I said, just phone me. Phone me and I'll send you people. And we couldn't get them to do that either. So what eventually, and I, I went, I traveled the country. I went to every, you know, every, every restaurant because, I mean, that was our, our probably most important client. And talking to these restaurant managers and trying to figure out what the, what the issue is. I mean, here's an easier, simpler way for them to do it. Um, and they just weren't doing it. And it was paid for. It was already paid for. So you don't have to pay for anything. It's an easier way for you to do it. And eventually, you know, there was sort of a sense that um, there, was a, there was a kind of ground, you know, grassroots kind of recruitment happening where people would come into the restaurant. Maybe they lived in the area. Maybe they would come in. I think the restaurant managers, to a certain extent, enjoyed that sort of, you know, that, that sense of power, that sense of they could give jobs away. and Also, they could choose their own people. They didn't necessarily want to choose bright young people that we would send them as much as, you know, if they want a cleaner, they'd prefer to get a 40-year-old um, cleaner to sit down there and just clean the windows and that's it, you know? So, so it was almost like sort of, okay, we're trying to change mindsets. But business is not really, you know, um, in the business of changing mindsets. Business is in the business of doing business. <laughs> so what always sort of happened is, you, okay, so Nando's head office at their HR and whatever, I mean, not Nando's, um, McDonald's head office at the time, they were, you know, they were, they were even willing to push it. They were even willing to sort of say, listen, this is the way we're doing it. And if you don't do it, we're going to reprimand you or whatever. But where it kind of landed at the end of the day was, you know, you have a restaurant that's doing fantastic um, in terms of their turnover and whatever and blowing the lights out. But then the one fraction they did is they didn't hire through a particular mechanism. And it was very difficult for them to sort of enforce it. So, um, so yeah, we had to sort of f- figure out another, you know, another mechanism or another way um, where there would be more, you know, more force and more money and more resources to sort of start working on changing mindsets. Your next choice of music is Dan McLean, American Pie. That was Dan McLean's American Pie. And... Uh, Splitting up the pie is what you're about in South Africa, trying to get more pieces of more pies for more people, mm. I guess. And I think that was, so, so, so I mean, it, you know, going back to, to, to sort of, you know, that, 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 uh, that experience, you know, we had, we were really trying to work with these employers and trying to get them, you know, to sort of pay for recruitment and realizing that, that I think one of the, uh, I think one of the, the challenges to this day, but certainly then, I think there's a little bit of change. But um, you know, there was the, the, there was a, a sort of element of entry level recruitment which wasn't happening at a <coughs> formalized way or at a sort of you know organized way. So it was really very much sort of people filtering in and you know sort of people hiring their friends and you know one person hiring the other and that kind of a thing. Um, and 
to me, where I was sort of looking at it um, from a our business perspective, but also just look starting to starting at that stage, you know, because originally we really just looked at it from a business perspective. You know, this is a great business opportunity or whatever it is. I didn't really so much look at it as a kind of youth employment and, you know, from a, a, a social perspective. You know, I just got into it, you know, somehow through trying to create as an opportunity trying to create a business Um, but sort of as I'm going in there I'm kind of realizing you know what hold on a second the problem here is deeper than you know just a business opportunity the problem is that you actually have these millions of youth out there looking for jobs Um, and there's some kind of a significant mismatch between you know sort of how recruitment happens at that entry level Um, and 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 the issue with that so I mean uh, someone could say okay well What's the difference? At the end of the day, there's, um, you know, sort of uh, there's businesses that are recruiting. There is um, youth that need jobs, and somehow or the other, they're getting into the jobs. Who cares how it happens? You know, why is it? Um, you know, why do you need to spend all this time, effort, and energy in changing it or whatever? But what I really saw was that, you know, so going back to that McDonald's and sort of going through to, you know, so we had some restaurants that took us up. We had some restaurants that took us up, and um, they would use us. And if they would use us, because we had a formalized system, we had assessments, we had you know a thing, and they would get, and we would send them, you know, younger people, um, you know, brighter, but more likely people for them. Well, that's an interesting thing. So there's there's a difference between so again there were t- there were two types of restaurants. So there would be the one restaurant which the manager didn't want to hear of us. They would say, listen, I know what I'm doing. I'm taking people. I get them in to run my restaurant. End of the story. You're sending me all these, um, you know, all these Generation X um, uh, young people. They've come with their expectations. They come with their ideas. Some of them would come in and they'd be more educated than the managers and whatever it is. And they they just couldn't handle it. So you'd walk into their store. And I started seeing that the restaurants that were using us, they would have just a younger higher caliber of um, person. And yes, it would be more difficult for the managers to run. Because if you think about it, if you're a manager and you've got to manage 60 people, would you prefer to manage 60 sort of, you know, um, less educated, somewhat more stable, um, you know, uh, people that are sort of Not asking too many questions. Not asking too many questions, not, you know, not thinking too much, doing their thing or whatever it is. Or would you want to manage, you know, 60, 22-year-olds um, you who've know, got ideas. Who've got ideas and who've got things and who've got uh, expectations. And I mean, you know, with our generation, it's, it's, it's this whole thing. But so, so, but what I did feel is when you walk into the restaurants that did have that young thing, the energy and the vibe was different. You know, you'd walk in and there'd be like a vibe to it. There'd be an energy to it. Um, and I did see the turnover was also growing because these kids would sit there and they'd have, you know, they'd be able to talk to the customers better and whatever it is. But it takes it takes quite a bit of, of, of doing, you know, and quite a bit of sort of management capability in order to create that. Your next choice is Simply Red. By the way, if any of these choices have deep meaning for you, you must tell us. This is <laughs> Blue by Simply Red. Simply Red performing Blue. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like you know. I, I think I think you know when when I was asked to provide my sort of t- you know I think a lot of um, a lot of people have. I mean I know um, my partner for example. You know he's very into his music. So if you talk, and if you ever watched uh, what's that uh, the movie High Fidelity, you know where um, John Cusack spends the entire movie sort of you know revising his sort of top music choices and you know give, att- attaching deep meaning to every sort of thing. You know, I'm not like that attached to music. I mean, I like music. I think it's unbelievable. You 
know, I think it's 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 amazing, you know. But but I don't have that kind of um, sort of thing to deep it. involvement. So, yeah. so 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 to me, if I look at what's my top choices, I mean, so this one specifically, um, simply read. I remember when I was um, nineteen, I took a long drive on my sort of dilapidated um, uh, Toyota um, from here to Cape Town. Um, and I had three discs, and one of them was simply red. <laughs> so I heard this song, I don't know how many times, and it was it was a, a very memorable sort of trip to Cape Town. I mean, it was like I did it on my own. It was I was 19, free as a bird, <laughs> you know, just out there to explore the world, and it was, it was just an unbelievable trip. So that kind of stuck in my mind as like one of those songs that kept on playing there. <laughs> what sort of jobs are there for young people? I mean, I'm thinking of people looking, say, for an apprenticeship. What what has happened to apprenticeships? Because that seems to me a big opening for people to train. They start by working in a sort of work situation for somebody or with somebody. What has happened to those days of apprenticeships? Because there, are, there could have been many, many thousands of them. So... I think it's, it's it's a bit of a complicated conversation because, um, you know, see, so back in the days you had these internships, right, where people would come in and they would work for free and they would… What is the difference between an internship and an apprenticeship? So, I mean, an internship would generally, traditionally at least, an internship would be in a more sort of, um, you know, white-collar environment and an apprenticeship would be sort of more in a blue-collar environment. So, you would, uh, you know, apprentice as a plumber, as a uh, machine operator or whatever Carpenter, it is. Yeah, yeah and, you would, mm, and you would intern in, 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 as a, uh, in a radio station or whatever it is. Um, but sort of the common thing to, to both of them, to a certain extent, would be that you wouldn't get paid. So, you would be an intern at a radio station and you would make coffee for a lot of people and you would kind of learn your ropes through it or whatever. Now, what happened in the last sort of 20 years in South Africa is that the, the, the internship concept started becoming a funded mechanism, started, you know, the CETAs and all those, um, and all those uh, guys sort of came in and started funding it. And to a certain extent now, it's almost created this environment and this perception um, that, you know, you need to get paid to train. You need to get paid to sort of work in an entry-level sort of job. So people would come in and, you know, work for three days and they'd say, listen, I worked for you for three days and, you know, what am I getting paid for it? Meanwhile, the employer is looking at it and saying, well, between me and you, for those last three days, all you, all I did is I've spent, you know, my time and energy trying to train you up, uh, you know, to sort of, I mean, you, you get you get a kid coming out of school and, you know, for the first three months between me and you, um, they're just learning the difference between school and, and work. You know, they, they, they need to learn that you need to come on time you need to learn how do you get to get how do you how do you how do you dress you know there's a whole host of stuff that they you know that they need to learn throughout so but but because these things have, have, have become funded um you know it's sort of created that perception now and an expectation and an expectation yeah. but i mean i think to me to qualify i do believe that internships i think um has been one of the most successful um interventions or, or, you know, things that, that the government has done in the last 20 years. So as much as the downside to it is that, um, you know, these, these sort of free internships and the expectations it created have a certain level of a downside to them, I do believe that, you know, and, and, and maybe to go back to the previous conversation, which is, you know, when we started realizing that recruitment, so started realizing that sort of the whole youth entry-level recruitment uh, a journey is not something, is, is something that is not working you know, in a way that promotes sort of 
uh, a growth of an economy and growth of a, a, a population. And I think another issue with that to me is the fact that, you know, you don't have a hope. You don't have, you know, so if there's a, a, a sort of organized, you know, you finish matric and then after the matric you get, um, you know, you get out of the matric class of 40 people, you get even five of them, you know, that sort of the top five get a job. You know, then the other ones that are going are saying, okay, well, if I could be in the top five, I could get a job as well. Um, but when everything is just kind of, okay, it happens to be in where you, you know, where you live and where your sister's working and where your mother is working, you know, it almost creates a situation where, um, People feel that getting a job is not depending on your performance. It's not depending on how good you are and who you are. It really just depends on who you know. So that's when we started working and saying, okay, how can we sort of try to create and change this perception? Um, and that's when we started getting involved quite heavily in the internship and the um, sort of learnership and all of that kind of space where, again, as much as it has a certain sort of underbelly of the fact that, um, you know, it creates these ex expectations, um, I do believe that it started creating a significant group of people that are, you know, going into a formalized finish matric and go into a job. So as these things grow, you know, you do start having, they started having, and I mean, you know, with the YES, with the, the yes uh, program now, which is, you know, this, again, this internship um, uh, funded by corporate sort of program, you're starting to get these massive intakes of young people where the requirement is that they shouldn't be employed. So, it is a requirement that they need to come out of school. <clears throat> so you're starting to have a situation where you are having more and more young people coming out of school and going into sort of formalized opportunities and formalized ways um, of working. So, and, and I think we're, find, we, we're finding a lot of employers which, you know, if used correctly, which is what we try to do, you know, they're looking at internships and those kind of opportunities as a way of saying, okay, well, I wouldn't necessarily have a budget to take on um, 200 um, inexperienced people right now, but because I've got this funding for it and because it's paid for by government or corporates in some way or the other, okay, I'll take these 100 people and I'll accept the fact that for the first three months, I'm not going to make much money out of it, but, you know, I'll do it. So uh, to me, it, it, it's been a really, really powerful mechanism of promoting youth employment and specifically promote, promoting youth employment in a formalized, organized way, which I think is, is, is an absolute important key in order to create a, a you know, a, a learning, you know, sort of a, a learning environment where young people have a sense that this learning will lead them to employment. So if someone is listening to this program and they think that they may be interested in providing a learnership somewhere, what do they do? So luckily we have a website. <laughs> um, and, so tell and us what it is. So it's um, lulaway.co.za. So that's L-U-L-A-W-A-Y.co.za. Um, just choose the contact button. You know, I really try, you know, it's like I try to, I try to make sure that, that people that fill in any of our contact forms, you know, get contacted very quickly because, you know, uh, I know in today's day and age, people don't have a lot of patience, you know. So if you filled in a contact form, you're sitting there, you're interested in the idea. If we could hit that iron when it's hot, you know, when you're on it and thinking about it, then you could get very far. So we really try to contact people very quickly. Um, and, yeah, fill out the contact form. We'll try to get back to you. Um, and And... If you have an opportunity that you could um, take on a young person, I can't say we could always help. You know, I can't say we could always have the, 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 the right thing, but certainly we're interested to have a conversation. We want to know about these opportunities. We want to understand them, um, and we'd like to see what we could do with them. So there it is, www.lulaway.co.za. That's the website to go to, uh, and that's the 
organization that Jake Willis, who's my guest in People of Note, runs. There must be a story behind Dolly Parton, which is your next choice. Jolene. <laughs> let's, let's listen to it first. I see Matuba Tuba smiling as we talk about uh, Dolly Parton. Matuba Tuba Khadebe is the guy who runs the desk here while we're doing these programs. Thank you, Matuba Tuba. Uh, always good to have you here in charge. So what's the story behind Dolly Parton? I don't think there is a story. I think I think at the end, <laughs> no, 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 this just story a fun is song. Saying, just a fun song, and I think um, I think maybe the the only story behind it was that um, that uh, uh, you know I was taking the kids to school, and um, you know they they hated all of my um, all of my jazz and blues music. So they felt it's depressing, <laughs> you know. So I just looked for a for a disc that I could get, which would have some fun songs. And you know, this one came across, and I've, after hearing it a few times, I was like, I don't know, this is just it's a great song. <laughs> you know, it's just, I think it's a great song. Now to get back to uh, Lulaway, uh, I see you are pretty well countrywide. Yeah, so I mean, we've 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 expanded. Um, we've created our job centers. Um, we've got uh, about two hundred and, and something of them. I mean, we, we're, we're moving. We're moving online. I mean, more and more, um, we've got um, we've got WhatsApp uh, robots that uh, sort of you know now respond to people um, and and you know try to deal with their queries as intelligently as we know. Um, we've got uh, online. You'll see if you go to our website and try to register as a job seeker. It's, it's a very, very easy process. Um, we've got um, we've got technology that um, that that really, you know, I believe probably the best in the country that um, that is able to mobilize people very, very quickly. Um, and we use WhatsApps and um, uh, SMSs and our app and a combination of sort of um, technology. But we have created one of the the most significant databases that are countrywide. Um, we're able to mobilize people very, very quickly. Um, and often we could get you the right people at the right time. Yeah, but you obviously need to mobilize two sides of this story. So there's people looking for employment and people needing employees or needing interns. Mm. So you're obviously connected to both sides. Hundred percent. So, so I mean, you know, we obviously, you know, we have we have a very significant database. And I mean, what's really happened over the years is that you know, like I said, recruitment hasn't really you know turned out to be a business as such because of um, you know because in essence, recruitment happens to a large extent. You know, sort of word of mouth and grassroots. There isn't. I don't believe there's really a you know great uh, case for a recruitment business and entry level recruitment business in the country at this point in time. So really, we've we've turned into a youth development organization. So what we do is we sort of work with a variety of types of organizations um, in order to find ways of mobilizing, you know, of, of, of mobilizing projects that will have meaningful impact. Um, so I mean, one of the one of the projects I'm working on right now, which is to me super super exciting, um, is uh, we're working, we've actually created a sort of organization to do it called Lula Rides, which is focused on getting scooter riders for the e-commerce industry. Um, specifically, we're working with Uber Eats around getting them uh, sort of people. So this is a, just, a, it is a, to me, this is a super interesting story um, where, you know, in many African countries and many in India and many other countries, scooters are is sort of a staple of um, of, 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 of transport. Um, it's not like that in South Africa. In fact, um, you know, there's actually a certain resistance to riding scooters amongst um, the, the, the young people. But you know, somebody somebody was was actually mentioning it. Um, 
an interesting way was saying that um, riding, that if you're in a scooter, you're actually immune to traffic. You know, you look at a scooter and saying, you know, it's better in traffic. He says, no, no, you're immune to traffic. You could be sitting there in a gridlocked place. You could be sitting there with drivers around you swearing, pulling their hair out, and you just cruise straight past them. Um, so it, it's really growing. And, 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 you know, more and more between the Uber Eats and the Take-A-Lots and those guys, you know, they need these scooter riders. But the, 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 the skill is not there. So we're actually, what we're doing now is we're taking South Africans, and it's really not a long process. We take them, and from beginning to, to, to them working, um, it takes sometimes less than a month, where we get them their license, um, we train them how to ride an actual scooter, we get them onto the platform, and these guys could be earning 6,000 Rand a month and above um, using this process. So that's just an interesting example of a sort of situation where you're able to take a industry that's growing but has some you know, constraints to its growth, um, particularly because of a lack of a skill. But I mean, we've got millions and millions of unemployed. They just don't have that skill. So, but, but in order to get the right people, you know, we need to get... Just to give you some examples, we need to send out probably about 5,000 messages to land up with five people riding. <laughs> so in other words, we need to access 5,000 people because you need to find the right people in the right time, in the right place, in the right mindset that are happy to do it, that are happy to ride the scooters, that are able to get through the learner's assessments, which is not very difficult, but requires a certain level of commitment and a certain level of going through. Um, but if you're able to open up that bottle, that's real employment that gets created. Yeah, and it's interesting for me because I've noticed during uh, the last seven months that the number of scooters on the road has increased. I mean, they're, they're sort of little hubs of scooters that collect all over town, mm. obviously close to restaurants and things where they're ready to go at a moment's notice. But it's definitely increased over the last during the lockdown. Mm. But you'll find that about 90 probably about 95% of um, those riders are foreigners. So um, a lot of, just just check it out, you'll see that, that most of those guys are foreigners. And, and not because of, um, you know, there's, there's, there's a, I think the, the companies running these things, they, I mean, regardless, the, the industry cannot grow um, on the back of foreigners just because there ain't enough of them. Um, but but the skill ain't there. The skill just, you know, South Africans are not riding scooters. They don't have the licenses. They don't have the ability. They don't have, uh, you know, I, I don't think the desire is missing necessarily because when we're starting to recruit for it, um, we're not finding it to be a hard um, sort of uh, sell to get the guys to come in. But the skill is just not there. And it's very strange how you would get um, somebody to come in and, you know, parents will be very comfortable to pay 30,000 rand a year to a Boston or a whoever it is to learn drama or business admin or whatever it is where you're virtually guaranteed not to get a job. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're not, you're, you're not going to get a job by doing business admin or whatever. But then when, but, but they're not going to fund um, them training on how to ride a scooter or, you know, some or basic scooter or buying a scooter yeah. or something like that. I mean, for 30,000 rand, they could learn how to buy a scooter. They could have a scooter and they could have a job for life, um, you know, using that. But it, it's a mindset and a perception that's not quite there. Um, and that's where you sort of need to come into these gaps and sort of say, okay, there's an issue here. Um, how do you solve it? How do you come into it? How do you do it? And I believe we're at the at, at the beginning of a, a, a wave, you know, where we could get, I think there's 30, 40,000 opportunities waiting to happen over the next two, three years. Your next choice is Jimmy Buffett and Alan Jackson, Margaritaville. Margaritaville, Jimmy Buffett and Alan Jackson, the choice of Jake Willis, who's the CEO and co-founder of Lulaway, which is a youth employment organization. Uh, 
And I see in your your information list that you sent me that you've uh, touched the lives of something like 300,000 South African job seekers. Mm. So I mean, that's a lot of people. It is a lot of people. It's been a long. It's been a long journey, um, and. Yeah, I mean, what, what does touch the lives mean? I think, you know, providing different levels of opportunities, um, sometimes inviting people for an interview if they choose not to take it, but at least they're aware that, um, you know, that there are opportunities out there. Um, placing people, it's like often we find that if you just put somebody in an opportunity, even if they even if they walk away from it after a week or after two weeks or after a month or two months, it sort of provides the catalyst for them, um, you know, that sort of starts their journey into employment. So um, I think we've done a lot of work. Just let me pick up on that a moment because you said earlier on that if people have actually worked, the chances of their continuing to work are much higher Mm. than if they've never worked. Yeah. I guess that's a worldwide thing as well because you hear of people on the dole in Europe who just remain on the dole their whole lives. Mm. So there's never a sort of motivation to work, whereas if you have actually worked, you realize the value of work. To you, to as as a human, for sure. I think you 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 realize the value of work. You realize that there is work out there. I mean, it's it's you know. I think for a lot of people, you know, they don't understand just the basics. I mean, I always uh, tell guys if you worked for if you worked at a I don't know pick and pay for example. Um, you start understanding how an organization works. You start understanding the concept of, you know, so sort of a guy that never worked before will walk up to a um, to a factory and talk to the guard and say, I need a job. And the guard's going to say, go away. <laughs> you know, um, a person that's worked before understands that the guard has no say on who's being employed, who's not being employed. And he understands that, okay, he needs to find the person in HR. He needs to find the manager, you know. So you start understanding how these things work. So it's really about understanding the, the, the world of work and, you know, what it is about and how to go about getting employment, some basic behaviors, you know, how to dress when you're looking for work, how to um, how to dress when you're working in the beginning. So there's a whole host of things that are around it where the value of getting that first foot in the door is super, super important. Your next choice is Tina Turner, Private Dancer. Private Dancer by Tina Turner. I just want to pick up something else you said was that the bulk of scooter riders here are foreigners. This is an ongoing issue in South Africa, is foreign workers coming in, taking jobs. I I put that in inverted commas. But actually, foreigners who've come here have actually made a really conscious decision to come here. They then have to find a job, because otherwise they're really sunk. How much of an issue is that with our in our South African labor field? Don't think. Um, I don't think the fact. Listen, I mean, certainly it pulls down. It pulls down um, uh, pay. Um, it pulls down salaries. Um, and I, I, I certainly think that um, that uh, it can't be. You know, there needs to be constraints on it. You know, so so I think I think there is a level where. At the end of the, so I mean, it's very clear. For example, when working with um, Uber and those kind of guys, that they they understand the need to move over to local um, labor or local guys. 
not just from a perspective of, of sort of the legalities and the, the, the um, and those and, and the sort of PR and whatever it is, but even just from a perspective of realizing that if you really want to grow, if you really want to sort of create something, it can't you know building on the back of foreign labor is not is not um, is not a strong foundation. Um, so. But, so I do believe that the government has a responsibility to promote in every way, you know, sort of it, it, the, the well-being and the the uh, of its local citizens before you know before you have foreigners. I don't think it's a major issue. I think to me, looking certainly at the scooter um, situation, I think if there was plenty of um, of of, uh, of locals, which I think we are working on, and I believe we will, you know, we will turn that, um, you know, we will we will. Uh, move that needle very soon, you know, on that um, on that sort of uh, on that sort of issue. But I mean, certainly, if there was more South Africans that had the skill and the ability to do it, um, then they would get it as well. And I don't. I think I think there's often you could create more of a pie in order to have more people eat it, as opposed to trying to say, you know, there's a limited there's a limited pie. I think. If I'm looking around in South Africa, there's so many opportunities. There's so many. There's so much stuff that can be done um, if people just have the right idea and the right motivation and the right thinking. So I think to me the major focus needs to be how do you incentivize people to open more businesses, to do more things? How do you provide more skills to your local citizens in order to do it? And again, not to say that there isn't a responsibility to try to limit you know, the, the, the numbers of foreigners and things like that. But I think, to me, the, the, the core focus and the key motivation should be how do you, how do you, how do you provide your own citizens, your, our own people, with the skills that are required to succeed in this economy? Yeah, because I was thinking right back to the beginning of this conversation where you said that the furniture removal business in New York was run by Israelis. Mm. Um, it's a similar sort of situation because we have, I guess, whole sections of the economy here run by Zimbabweans or I don't know where the scooter riders all come from, but I, when you look around Africa, you see further north in Africa is the place of scooters like Nigeria or mm. uh, places like that. And I guess that could be the same here. But let's look at your next choice of music, which is Lady in Red. This is Chris de Berg. That was Chris de Berg with Lady in Red. I must say, I really hope nobody's really looking deep into these song choices and saying, you know, what's the deep psychosis going on there? I'm sure there is one if we go through it all carefully. Don't. <laughs> well, we're coming towards the end of the program now, and your your final choice is Man on the Moon. But before we get there, uh, just to say that um, – what, what do you say to young people, if there are young people, and uh, there are, who listen to these programs, mm. what do you say to them? Can they contact you directly? I'll just give that. It's www.lulawai.co.za. Is there hope for people? Because there are so many people looking for jobs. I mean, you said it could be as high as 50 or 60% of people who are jobless. And that's quite... Uh, a hill to climb. Sure, it's not simple, um, but I, but I do believe I do believe if I was a young person in in in, um, in South Africa right now, I, I wouldn't be worried. Um, and again, am I to say that I'm not worried as a on a societal level? And and you know, um, certainly I think there's 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 some tremendous challenges to be overcome. Uh, but I think that on any any individual person, if you're determined, if you're reasonably smart and you're out there and you want to get something done, um, you should be able to do it. I really don't believe that we're in a situation where, 
You know, I mean, one of the one one of the kind of great things about South Africa is uh, right now it's a democracy. You know, and I think as much as it might not be living up to all of our expectations, and I mean, everybody <laughs> has expectations for everything to happen overnight and change or whatever it is, but there. Nobody in South Africa now can say there is something artificial that is stopping them from getting an opportunity. A person, I, I, I am virtually certain that a young person that has decided that they want to get an opportunity and they will do whatever it takes to get it can and will get an opportunity in this country. There is, there, there is so much stuff to do. There's so many entrepreneurial um, possibilities and opportunities. I mean, the simple thing is, I could tell right. I could tell you right now, any young person that will walk into our offices and say, "I am willing and able to become a scooter rider," and will persist at it, virtually guaranteed they will get an opportunity. I could tell you that right now. And they now. could earn real money. And they could earn six thousand rand and above, and up to fifteen thousand rand. You know, a month. So, uh, so, so there are definitely opportunities that are there for the taking for somebody that's determined, and it's up to um, the person, the young person, to decide. Well, there we are. Positive words from Jake Willis, CEO and co-founder of Lulaway, which is an organisation that provides youth employment. Thank you, Jake, for coming on the program. Thank you, Matabataba Khadebe, for taking us through the program, putting it all together. High fives all around, fist pumps, and we're going to play out with Man on the Moon.